welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Welcome back, one and all. This is the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris, and with me, as always, except for last week, with our special guest, Kyle Thompson, otherwise, and here again, is Joe Boot. Good to see you again, Joe. Good to see you, Ryan. Nice to be back. Glad you made it. Um, I heard it was a uh, was a successful uh, trip that you were on, so I'm glad to hear that. Yes, thank you. So uh, by the time you're going to be hearing this, uh, we are coming to the end of March. That means that we are coming to the end of, or we're coming to a turnover of the book of the month. Uh, so for the, the next couple of days, uh, you can still get at a significant discount Joe's book, The Mission of God. So if you want to get that, and if you've been thinking about getting it, maybe you've been hearing about it from uh, from some well-meaning friends, pick that up now. It's on sale uh, until the end of this week, which also corresponds to the end of this month of March. And then next month, we've got uh, Ezra Institute fellow Willem Awanel's title called Adam, Where Are You? And that's a, a theological and hermeneutical evaluation of the evolutionary perspective. So you're, you're going to want to uh, read that as well. It's a, w- Willem is a, just a fascinating and uh, interesting thinker and writer that, uh, that you'll really benefit from uh, sort of ha- having your perspective on this challenged in ways that, uh, speaking from my own experience, I never would have considered it, right? Is that, that's fair to say, Joe, he's just, just a little, little bit interesting, totally orthodox, but outside of the box when it comes to sort of the, his depiction of and approach to these subjects. Yeah, and he the sort of uh, philosophical tools he uses yield some very, very interesting insights and, and new angles of criticism that aren't immediately obvious in the, from the more right. traditional um, approaches to an evolutionary critique, an evolutionary reading of the Bible. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, yeah, do yourself a favor. You Maybe you've read a lot on this subject. You will be blessed and challenged by Willem's work. So the book is called Adam, Where Are You? And that'll be on sale through Ezra Press starting April 1st. So today we're back into our uh, series on the Ten Commandments. We are getting into the seventh commandment, which reads, you shall not commit adultery. And this is a, uh, again, this part of the second table of the law, part of the, the rules, part of the laws for uh, social and civic interaction. And this, this again, is one of those, one of those laws that uh, if you were approaching a lawmaking for a brand new society, would would not necessarily be automatic. Uh, speaking as moderns in particular, we we approach this, or we've been conditioned to think of a se- sexual relationships as really uh, formed on the basis of consent and almost uh, almost nothing else. Uh, but here we've got, uh, and as we'll see, this is not a purely personal matter. Uh, this has this has serious and immediate implications for civil life and the strength of the family. And 
Joe, why don't why don't we start there uh, with uh, just with a conversation that uh, you know that contra- compares and contrasts you know modern con- modern concepts of uh, of consent and sexuality with a biblical vision for this area. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think the shocking thing to most people when they first encounter now a a Christian view, a biblical view of human sexuality and sexual relationships is that it isn't built around the I world of radical postmodern individualism. Uh, It isn't, uh, what is that new film, everything, everywhere, all of the time. Uh, Right, all at once. All at once or whatever it's called. Uh, That is not the world of the Bible. And the, the, the fundamental challenge that, that Scripture uh, represents, the Decalogue, God's law, uh, God's commandments in this area, um, certainly um, uh, helps us to realize that God's requirements are not sort of merely abstract discussions, uh, interesting ideas for ruminating on, here you really do run into the offense of scripture, the offense of, in many respects, the gospel itself, the, because Christ has come to redeem us from all lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. That's what the Bible mm. says. And it's because of our violation of God's law that Christ went to the cross and paid the death penalty in our stead, the the bore the the wrath of God and took the ultimate uh, eternal punishment for sin upon himself. And uh, the cross is always a reminder to us of the, not just uh, of the way in which many in a secular world would look at the cross as perhaps the death of a a moral teacher or a a martyr or somebody who was uh, up against the, uh, the system as sometimes Christ is depicted, but here is the one mm. who was the true Israelite. He was the the living Torah. He was the greater son of David. He was also the greater Moses who expounded the law of God uh, in the Sermon on the Mount and who went to the cross because of our violations of that law. Now, the these commandments then are fundamental to the Christian faith. They are basic to the Christian faith. He's come to redeem us from all lawlessness and then conform us. Uh, the, the, the scripture says that we are being conformed to the image of his son, that is to the God's son. And Christ was, the, was the, the son who truly kept God's law perfectly, fulfilled it perfectly um, and uh, put it into force in his life, brought it to its full fulfillment, expounded its full significance. And with respect to this seventh commandment, uh, internalizes again also the commandment to the forbidding adultery and says that it's not just a matter of the act itself, but it's also centered in the the intentions of the heart. Yep. And it's out of the heart that come murders and adulteries and fornications and so on. And so uh, if one looks at a woman with an intent to have her, to lust after her, to have her, um, Jesus says, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. So 
we we the 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 important thing one of the important things to say at the outset here is that there is a there's a tremendous sense of offense today in our culture whenever you deal with the um sexual legislation of the bible with god's commands with regard to human sexuality with god's norm with respect to marriage and sexuality and it's that encounter with an ordered world of what we can call covenantal sex rather than casual sex, covenantal sex, not casual sex, that is mm. the, the, uh, the very center of the offense of, of, of God's law and uh, uh, the reason why I'm told that, um, uh, is it Ian McKellen who played Gandalf? Um, That's right. Uh, he he uh, he in fact um, has said himself that uh, he if he finds a bible in a hotel room tears out the pages of leviticus 20 um because of this is the, because it's an offense to to people who practice uh sexual immorality mm -hmm. and and the, the 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 that sense that that god could make any demands of us or have any expectations of us in this regard is uh, is seen in our increasingly uh, libertine society um, and a society of sexual license as a tremendous offense as um, in fact you know the bible's teaching about human sexuality would often be called today texts of terror that's right yeah because of the prohibition uh, against certain forms of of sexual conduct so what's important i think as we discuss this will be getting to the heart of why why is it that god uh, sets a given normative standard for human sexual relationships why is adultery uh, as uh, adultery is in the bible the paradigmatic case of sexual deviance from god's normative uh, expectation and structure god's law for human sexuality so the decalogue itself the ten commandments as you've just read the seventh commandment doesn't deal with all the sexual offenses. It just talks about adultery because adultery stands as the paradigmatic case of departure from, from God's law, norm for lifelong marriage between a man and a woman in the covenantal bond of marriage. Um, and the various casual forms of sexual relationship are censured and sanctioned in scripture and that really hits up against this i world of individualism not the r world of relationship but the the i world of i and what i want and what i desire and what my demands are um and how that really moves against um the expectations and the requirements that god has for our own flourishing as human beings right joe that's a great distinction that you made between covenantal and uh, casual sex. And actually, I was reading Calvin on this subject or on, on the law, and he's got, uh, he's got a really powerful statement that uh, really brings this point home that agrees with it here. Uh, I just want to read it quickly. It says, inasmuch as God is declared to have blessed marriage, it must at once be concluded on the contrary, that the connection of male and female except in marriage is accursed. This is the argument of the author of the Epistle to the Hebrews, where he contrasts two opposite things. And Calvin quotes Hebrews 13.4 uh, from the Geneva translation, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, 
but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So uh, again, just to uh, just to reinforce that that adultery as the paradigmatic expression of uh, casual, consensual, non-covenantal sex uh, st- is made to stand in for any kind of sexual relationship outside of that covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. Yes. And and this. Uh, there, there are a few cases here that I, I wanted to go through uh, from Scripture. Uh, later in Exodus 22, uh, we read verses 16 and 17, uh, If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged and lies with her, he must pay a dowry for her to be his wife. And if her father refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the dowry for virgins. And we see here, uh, again, an application of this principle where what uh, you know? What a man initially desired as casual sex, there there's provision and uh, infrastructure in place to uh, to make that conform to a covenant relationship. Because yes. that's uh, I think uh, would you say that's the that's the norm? That's what uh, that's what we are pushing for. And even if we get there in an in an erroneous and a roundabout way, that's still that that relationship that structure is still better than unfettered sexuality yes the it's very interesting that uh, provision is made uh, in scripture for the protection of uh, women mm-hmm. uh, young women and family in the event of um, casual uh, sexual in, encounters in a, in a familial culture, in a culture that highly regards family and marriage, um, the, the, you know, the act of seduction, uh, and, and, and sleeping with, uh, uh, with a, a non-engaged girl, uh, woman in, 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 uh, the, the case that we have here in scripture would damage that, uh, that woman's, um, future, potential for a, a good partner because in the, a context where marriage and sexual fidelity and sexual purity are highly valued, that would be a strong mark against her as a marriage partner. Perhaps there would be a, 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 a child that could be produced as well as the result of that encounter and therefore the, all the burdens that, that come along with that. So interestingly, the Bible there introduces a heavy financial penalty now mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, a dowry was typically um uh, at least a year's wages um and so if you think about that for a moment uh, for you know the average man today um a year's wages perhaps in in canada let's say ranging from between you know 50 or a hundred thousand dollars um that's a that's a significant amount of money um, and sometimes the, the 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 requirement could be significantly more than that, uh, <clears throat> and that was there for the financial protection of uh, the the woman in this case. Um, the dowry would have to be paid even if the the man did not want to take the the girl as a bride. Mm-hmm. Now, it's probably worth pointing out here that um, uh, as we you know we we 
we probably should define in one sense adultery as we talk about this, because we've, we've, we've said it's the paradigmatic example of a sexual offense in the Bible, which it is. And that's why it's covered in the Decalogue. Um, adultery um, has a has a what we might call a narrow and then a broad uh, definition. So the mm. narrow uh, definition of adultery, biblically or adultery proper in the strictest sense, is uh, the the a a a man uh, sleeping with a married woman. Right. So. Uh, that is that's that's adultery um and the the for example so in the case where a man slips sleeps with an unmarried woman like the case you've just cited that is a form of adultery a subheading or a subcategory but it is not adultery proper mm-hmm. so um that that's something to to bear in mind that you've got the broad category um and and then you've got the various subcategories or forms of uh, uh, adultery, but strictly speaking, the actual act of adultery is uh, the uh, sleeping with a, a married woman. Uh, now, in the event of a married man uh, sleeping with an unmarried woman, um, that's a fornication. It's a form of adultery. It's not strictly adultery because in the in this particular context in the pre-christian context polygamy was tolerated and so a married man could be would be required in that instance to marry and pay the dowry for the the unmarried woman that he he had slept with um right. because uh, the, the, there there was a toleration of polygamy and that was in part because there needed to be um social provision uh, for those who were um, misused in this way, um, and they needed to be cared for, and their offspring potentially as well properly cared for. So there was a there was a provision made for that. Now, you know, for most listeners, as they're hearing us even talk about this, these sort of biblical provisions, uh, dowries, and so forth, is very foreign to our ears. But it was actually very much part mm. of our Western culture. Um, there, there, there would be an expectation of financial provision. You did have to uh, get the consent, the permission, uh, typically, of the blessing of the father of the bride. You would approach the father uh, as a as a would be suitor for his daughter um, mm-hmm. to uh, talk about your intentions, your prospects. There would be a sense that without the blessing of the parents, it would be shame and disgrace for the relationship to to go ahead. Um, and so the, what's happened, what's taken place in our culture, the reason that these things don't really mean much to us anymore, and I would say as Christians, we we still take to some degree the nuclear family seriously, but not so much the extended family and the impact mm-hmm. of adultery and fornication and sexual deviance on them, which the Bible does take seriously. We'll come to that in just a moment. But it seems difficult for our ears, seems foreign to our ears, because our culture has slid so far into sexual license, because we don't value these relationships with parents, with uh, grandparents, with uncle and aunts, with the community at large, uh, we therefore don't value or don't take seriously what God values in terms of the sexual relationship. Uh, And so 
even for us listening to these things, it would be hard for us to take in, for example, that in the middle of the 17th century in Britain, uh, you know, adultery was a criminal offence. Yeah. And, and, it, and, it, and it carried up to a maximum sentence uh, of a capital crime. That's yes. in Europe. That, that's in Europe in a, in, in, within uh, the last few centuries. Right. That's um, post-reformational Europe. That's post. That's correct. Post-reformational Europe. So uh, the change has been so radical and so rapid in our attitude towards these things that we find the encounter with these biblical texts and these references to the provision um, uh, very difficult. Because the reason today that we have the battles that we do over abortion as a right. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, of course, the, the 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 sexual revolution and its use of contraception. Uh, despite the fact that even in this last week or two, I've been reading a series of articles about the now demonstrable known cancer-causing risk of um, uh, many of the contraceptives that women are taking. Yeah. Um, these these steps, contraception. Um, Easy lacks the, the 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 way we sort of revolutionize the law with with regard to divorce. The way yes. it's you know so easy now; it's almost easier to get out of a, a marriage than it is a phone contract. Yeah. Uh, so we've we've seen laws change around. Um, we've seen developments with contraception. We've seen laws change around uh, divorce and, of course, abortion, because these are seen as protecting the right to that casual consensual sex that is just the I relationship, not the, not the relationships, broadly speaking, but the I, my personal sense of, uh, of well-being, my personal satisfaction, the fulfillment of my personal lusts. That's what is central. And that must be protected by no fault divorce effectively, uh, by contraception, by abortion. And that's why you get this massive outburst of anger whenever you see any pushback, as we've seen recently in the United States at the Supreme Court and in a number of the states beginning to restrict abortion. Uh, And the absolute fury that that unleashes is because it's tied to this. It's tied to this whole notion of um, the only measure of our sexual behavior should be consent. And... uh, Anything that would bind us, family, fidelity, God, his word, a normative structure, Mm -hmm. uh, is to be uh, rejected. And that means that it's become increasingly difficult to define sexual offenses, Ryan. It becomes um, a a continuously more difficult and and more challenging uh, project for the state to try and define sexual offense. Uh, Because here you have the Bible's paradigmatic case, adultery, and then all the subcategories of um, adultery, that these are uh, offenses against God's order. Now, when you basically disregard marriage, as our culture has done, redefined it into nothingness, essentially, disregarded the family and the ties of family, disregarded the extended family, 
Uh, we've got, you know, with the European Court of Human Rights in Europe, for example, scrambled parenthood, people being able to marry their mother-in-law and, and father-in-law and all this kind of thing. When you've got the destruction of family and extended family, uh, and, and uh, it's been well understood by sociologists for a long time that you cannot have um, social revolution without sexual revolution. This is, how, this is how you bring it about. You bring about a radical social revolution, a radical leveling by a sexual revolution. And that's what we've been in the grip of. And so it becomes increasingly difficult to define what a sexual offence actually is. E even rape is being increasingly difficult to mm -hmm. define. And then you've had movements like the Me Too movement arise because in part because women feel now so vulnerable yep. uh, that, you know, what actually constitutes a, a sexual offence. Um, and what it's basically come down to is explicit consent uh, uh, between two parties or in, uh, some, sometimes not even two human parties um, uh, is, um, uh, of course, as some animal rights activists have said, well, you know, bestial sexual acts, the animal, you know, can't give consent. And so there's been a restoration of some bestial law in Germany, I believe, in the last few years. But pretty much anything goes so long as it's consensual. And that's a radically different picture to the one in the Bible of sex as covenant, mm -hmm. as, an, as, a, as a binding agreement. That's why it was reserved for marriage. Because sex, the only place for sexual activity in the Bible is within the lasting monogamous bond of the marriage relationship. We haven't got time today to talk about in detail divorce. Perhaps we can tackle that in a subsequent episode. Um, right. That There are uh, cases of sexual immorality and other covenant violations, which d do mean that divorce is permissible in certain situations. But God's ideal, God, Christ's teaching about marriage, which he goes back to Genesis 1 and 2, is that this is the only place for human sexuality to be expressed in a sexual relationship is in the bond of marriage between a man and a woman. The Bible begins with a marriage. God defines his relationship with Israel as a marriage. Christ defines his relationship with his church as a marriage. That's the Apostle Paul's teaching. And history ends with a marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb, Christ to his bride. Marriage has this central significance in Scripture. And this is the place where there is... Um, not just permission, but God's endorsement, as you read from the book yeah. of Hebrews, yeah. God's celebration, God's blessing upon the God-given uh, drive, the God-given impulse of the sexual relationship, the gift of human sexuality, the joy of human sexuality is given within the safety, the security, the, the permanence, the arena of trust, uh, of familial respect, of honor to God and parents of the, the marriage relationship. And that is why um, culture historically in the West, Christian culture, biblical culture, has protected marriage and family and the extended family, privileged it, protected it, and punished violations of it. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, 
there is a the broader reason for that, which we can we can go on to discuss, is because of the the blessing that that brings upon human society. Right. Yeah, I'd I'd like to uh, get into that uh, that discussion of the blessing that it brings for society, uh, and maybe a good way to uh, to launch into that is that just by noticing it strikes me as you were talking uh, between uh, the the bride price, the dowry, versus the uh, you know the effects of contraceptive, uh, social and family breakdown, the health risks associated with with all of these things, the the taking of innocent life through abortion uh, there is there is a price to pay one way or another for a sexual relationship but uh, on the one hand you know the price is you know price is akin to something like a fine or a penalty and on the other hand uh, the price is more akin to an investment uh, to build a you know a god honoring household mm-hmm. so I don't know. With the, with that in mind, maybe, maybe just speak a little bit more about the, the social and civil benefits to uh, strong, protected, intact marriages and families, Joe. Well, of course, we are observing and and paying the price, as you've put it. There is a price to be paid, the butcher's bill, um, mm. for the shattering of God's order for human sexuality, at least our violation of it. There are certain norms and laws that God has established that can be violated by human beings, and this is one of them. But it doesn't mean the violation is without consequence uh, or without sanction. You mentioned one, the, the massive problem, which is now so widespread and so common of sexually transmitted disease. Right. The, um, the medical professionals tell me, and this is very, very interesting, Uh, the way God's law, God's norm is reflected at the biological level, is that your body, the human body, is designed in terms of its immune system uh, to be able to cope with the bodily juices, fluids, seminal fluids, and so forth, of one other human being without damage. So... uh, and I found this when uh, when a doctor explained this to me, absolutely um, fascinating. That, that is that fascinating. The reason that, that you can have sexual relations within marriage and not contract a sexually transmitted disease is that your body is designed to be able to deal with um, that other person's uh, bodily fluids um, that, to, to cope with sexual contact with one other person you go beyond that Mm -hmm. you are susceptible to all manner of disease Mm -hmm. but that is the tip of the iceberg of course in terms of the consequences uh, of the uh, lawless um, view of sexuality that it's purely a matter of uh, i me consent and not covenant I want to read actually just a short uh, uh, statement from um, Dr. Jonathan Burnside, one of our fellows, um, mm, who is a professor of biblical law. And uh, he, he says this in, 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 um, in pointing this out. He says, we find, he says, biblical law provides us with a positive understanding of well-ordered sexual relationships in the form of heterosexual marriage. 
This in turn shapes our understanding of departures from the norm and explains why they are prohibited. In other words, biblical law provide us biblical law provide us with an understanding of what is good in sexual relationships, and that and from that flows everything else. What we would today call sexual offences are labelled deviations from the covenant of heterosexual marriage. As a result, adultery is the archetypal sexual offence in the Bible because it is the paradigm case of sexual relationships outside marriage. Likewise, other forms of sexual deviancy uh, are characterized in biblical law as forms of adultery. This is reflected in a number of biblical laws. In contrast to modern law, which regards consent as the sole issue in determining legitimate sexual relationships, biblical law seeks to channel sexual energy in such a way as to create community. To channel sexual energy in such as a way to create community. Biblical law provides us with a different sexual ethic, one which achieves coherence by placing relational and sexual order rather than consent at its core. And um, uh, and I would highly recommend um, Dr. Burnside's discussion, actually, in, in his book, God, Justice and Society, of uh, uh, his discussion of adultery, of marriage, um, of sexual offences. Um, what he says, and I found, uh, and I find this very helpful, is that there are five basic things that uh, the scriptures see the scriptures see as necessary to well-ordered sex, sexual relationships, and therefore to optimize um, the relational order among human beings. And they are number one, uh, covenantal order. So the biblical law about sexuality is driving at a covenantal order. These binding faithful agreements that provide security and stability. Secondly, um, and now he's talking about how the the law of adultery is applied in Exodus 20, where in Exodus 20, we have a a list of forms of adultery. Uh, Remember, we talked about the the paradigmatic case of adultery, um, sexual relations with a married woman. Um, Forms of adultery are dealt with in... um, Leviticus 20, even though they're not all cases of adultery. Uh, So you've got the covenantal order. He then says there's the species order, because, of course, we deal with bestiality, that God has an order for sexual relationships that do not include animal and human relations. And this was very much part of pagan cultures, pagan uh, uh, rites of worship, uh, fertility cults and so forth, often involved. Uh, bestial acts. So the covenantal order, a species order, a gender order. So this is where you have the forbidding of um, homosexual acts, um, Mm -hmm. whether they be male or female. And of course, Paul, the apostle Paul deals with that in Romans chapter one. So there is a gender order. Then fourth, there's a generational or descent order. So this concerns now making sure that the descent is not scrambled. If you enter into um, uh, polygamous, uh, not just polygamous, I should say um, incestuous uh, relationships, which again uh, have been legalized in much of Europe and and are dealt with in uh, the Bible, um, you're dealing with um, a generational order um, that becomes... Um, scrambled 
we uh, and his fifth point is a kinship order. So, and, and these are of course related descent and 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 kinship. Um, that if we don't observe the generational order, uh, the order of descent, father, uh, grandfather, father, son, and so forth in sexual relationships, we destroy relationality and community. If we don't observe the kinship order in various other forms of um, uh, incestuous uh, relationships, we are destroying that relational order. So there you've got five ways in which biblical law aims at a, a, a rightly ordered, harmonious, prosperous, blessed community um, that recognizes God's order. Now, it's really important to note that in, in biblical law, in Exodus 20, Leviticus, uh, sorry, Exodus, um, yes, Exodus 20, Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 5, we are dealing with um, a, a logical order, even as the commandments have been delineated, because the Bible associates idolatry, uh, a lack of respect for parents, a dishonoring of parents and adultery. These are these are interrelated in the Bible. So when we engage in in casual sex uh, outside of God's norm, we're saying something about what we believe about the worship of God and who God is. We're saying something about our regard for parents, family, kinship, kinship, descent, honoring of our parents. Um, uh, not just about uh, what we think about uh, the immediacy of the sexual act. We're saying something about God. We're saying something about family. So the Bible regards adultery and all forms of sexual activity outside the permanent covenantal bond of marriage as a dishonoring of our parents, as a dishonoring of God, as a form mm -hmm. of idolatry. We are we are we are basically worshiping sex as an idol. Uh, we've abandoned imaging God and His covenantal relationship to us, uh, His bond of love with us, His fidelity, His faithfulness, because that's who God is. And now we're going to reflect something else. We're going to image something else. So it's an act of idolatry, but it's also an act of dishonor to parents, which we dealt with in the. Fourth commandment. Fifth. Uh, Excuse me. Fifth. Sorry, yes. I beg your pardon. Fifth commandment. Thank you. Um, th the act of sexual deviance dishonors the relationship we have with our parents, it dishonors God and dishonors our parents. One of the reasons that's true um, is that the whole idea of parental consent and of blessing is 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 no longer involved because it's just right. it's just the I world, um, and also the who is it that bears the the fallout of illicit casual sexual relationships, whether that be the emotional fallout or the reproductive fallout with children, the the people that bear the burden of all of this is the family. That's right. Specifically, specifically the parents. And then, of course, the extended family as well. So rather than seeing the Bible doesn't see the sexual act as, you know, what happens in the bedrooms of the nation is nobody's business. Mm -hmm. um, the Bible sees 
sex as having an impact on the community. And that, by the way, is why still, and in almost all cultures, the marriage act, the, um, the, the coming together of a man and a woman in the, in the bond of marriage is a public thing. It has yeah. witnesses. It's celebrated, celebrated by the community. It's recognized by the state. Uh, it, and it's to an extent regulated then by the state. It's not mm-hmm. a purely private issue. Um, and neither was divorce uh, previously considered a purely private issue. Because think about the impact, the fallout of divorce upon the family upon the extended family and especially on children. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 it's, the, it's the gradual breaking down of this relational structure uh, that the Bible is concerned with, of the breaking down and the collapse of human society that the Bible is concerned with when we don't recognize that this is not just a private issue, it's a public issue that all of the community, as well as the family and extended family, has a vested interest in protecting the fidelity, the exclusivity of the sexual act in the bond of marriage. Um, And that the fallout um, from everything from scrambled um, generations and parenthood to sexually transmitted disease to uh, the care of children um, and so on and so forth. And look at the cost to the state today because of the breakdown of the family, for example, it costs the state billions mm-hmm. to stand in for the family, yeah. uh, which it can't do, of course. It tries to, but it can't do it. Uh, the welfare yeah. uh, societies of Europe and of the West are collapsing under their own weight. Yeah. They can no longer sustain the collapse and breakdown of family life. And so when you see God's requirement god's law which is always for our blessing and for our good this is the good way scripture says these are the old paths walk in it know my blessing Mm -hmm. god says no know my joy know my peace this is how you go about it this is how you're going to walk in my blessing so you you cited calvin for example uh about the marriage bond and god's curse and that is exactly the case that it's not to, to walk in blessing, to walk in this area of uh, the I world of sexual gratification of casual, not covenantal sex. Uh, it brings a curse and it brings a curse, not just on the individual in terms of the consequences upon the family, upon the community, but actually even on the nation. In fact, some of the mm-hmm. reasons that God cites for the Canaanites being expelled from the land that he was giving to Israel was because of their violation of God's norms for human sexuality, for the way they treated uh, the gift, um, the precious gift, the sacred gift of human sexuality and the joy of it and the blessing of it within the bond of marriage. So it's always this that we have to keep in mind, the relationship between idolatry, adultery, and the sexual relationship. Uh, the, the relationship between idolatry, honoring of parents, and a rightly ordered sexual relationship. It's actually part of the normal sequence of heterosexual marriage um, to recognize honor for parents uh, mm-hmm. in the midst of all of this. And as we've seen a culture increasingly dishonor parents, dishonor the, ne- the older generation, dishonor the elderly, um, dishonor the family. Of course, um, 
sexual uh, deviance is is part of that, and it proliferates everywhere where the family is despised. And so that's the only way for us to get our head into the reality uh, and the, 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 the blessing of, of biblical law, of God's prohibition against adultery, is that the second commandment of idolatry is in play, the fifth commandment of honoring parents is in play in the seventh commandment. And uh, blessing and curses are involved, and we are unequivocally seeing um, the curses uh, unfold in the West. Um, I was looking at a, a, a new book recently, actually, that was looking at the sexual revolution, not even by a Christian, right. um, but a yeah. feminist, mm -hmm. basically acknowledging that the sexual revolution has been a disaster for women, for marriage, for the family, for society. And that's the consequence of violating uh, the seventh commandment. Right. Uh, Joe, it's, uh, it's remarkable uh, how, how the, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, of you've, as you've noted, uh, they're also referred to, really hang together to make a coherent whole and a program uh, for society, acknowledging that, uh, as we say, kind of all over the place, that life is religion. Well, Joe, I'm glad that we could uh, we could connect. I know that uh, you've got to be whizzing off to another conference uh, later today, so I'll uh, I'll let you go. But uh, I remind you, uh, all of you who have been listening, that from him and through him and to him are all things. This has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation, and we'll be with you again next week. God bless you. <laughs>